Hey, it's 2019. This is the first mind rolling podcast for the year. And I just, I've been thinking a lot about hippies. Don't ask me why. I don't know. But I've been thinking about hippies. I think I've been thinking about it because of the the wonderful credo that hippies, and I was one of them. I am one of them. And uh, a lot of the hippie credo or the hippie philosophy has been thrown in the garbage because people feel like self-indulgent flower people who eventually just got into drugs and nothing of any consequence came out of that, which I think is absolutely wrong. And I think that uh, many people did uh, do look back, baby boomers look back on that period and go, yeah, that was some fun that I had back then, but the real world hit. So, you know, don't put much stock in any of what we went through back then, but I beg to differ. And uh, it's all encompassed actually in this one great song that Elvis Costello is uh, famous for called What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding. And it was written by Nick Lowe, another great British rock guy. Uh, And I have to say, if ever we needed, this is my New Year's message, okay? If ever we needed uh, a slogan that has, is full of, what's necessary in my mind to counter the uh, gross uh, narcissism in our, not only at the top with you know who, but, uh, but all through society. Uh, just with the, the you know, horrific uh, polarization that's going on in this country. So... We need a good dose of peace, love, and understanding. And understanding is uh, primary amongst those three words. It's something we all have a lot of trouble with, with our fellow humans. So that's my big New Year's resolution. More love, more peace, and more understanding. And to that end, uh, I did a podcast with an old friend of mine, Michael Jadu Daner. And um, before I get to it, though, I want to thank everybody who has uh, supported the podcast, Mind Rolling Podcast. And by the way, you can help a little bit more. This isn't something I emphasize, emphasize very much. But certainly going up and making sure that you are subscribed on iTunes particularly and leaving some nice little uh, comments about what you feel about the podcast would be great. But I do thank everybody for the support, uh, which has uh, ramped up over the years. And, you know, we have quite a nice audience. And I do thank you. And I thank everybody at the Be Here Now Network, who the support team that enables all of this to happen, not just for me, but for all of our podcasters on the network. Uh, 
particularly, of course, I want to thank Kelly Rigo and J.R. Morton and Corey Leonard because they are uh, intrinsic to getting these podcasts out and, and uh, getting everybody linked up to all sorts of different information, books, websites, etc. So thank you guys. Uh, okay, onward to the, so uh, Jadu and I did a, a, I think it's it's almost two years ago, maybe a year and a half, no, it's two years ago that we did a podcast on the hippie trail, which is another reason why I was thinking about hippies and my little New Year's message. Uh, but the hippie trail uh, was basically a trail that people followed through Europe to India, to the East. And uh, that trail was trod upon by both uh, seekers and smugglers, people who went over there and would do these big scams where they'd get buy a bunch of hash and ship it back to America and Canada. And uh, so uh, Jadu, he embodies the latter because he's, well, he's an interesting guy because not only did he do that, but he was also very much into the seeker part. Uh, but first he tried out the smuggler part, which uh, he has some wild stories. And one of them he tells in this podcast, it's really cool, uh, that happened in Delhi. And um, so the... The interesting thing is, and then there was people like me and Krishna Das who followed Ram Das over uh, and never, ever got involved in, uh, in the hash scene in India back then. Uh, and I never went to Kulu. I never went to Goa, which were the two major uh, party pay places uh, in India for hippies to go to. So there was an interesting uh, dichotomy between people who went for these two very, very different uh, reasons. And we're going to talk about that in the, in the podcast. We did talk about it. And uh, again, there's a sort of very adventurous spirit that both of these uh, kinds of people had to go over uh, to India like that and uh, go through what many people went through. I mean, we used to go through Afghanistan and uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Turkey, uh, you know, some places that you could not go to today. You know, it was pretty interesting. So, uh, yeah, I just keep thinking about, I mean, I denigrate hippies myself. I mean, I, I will, like, I'm working with somebody and I'll I'll go, and they'll tell me somebody did something that wasn't quite done properly. And I go, oh, hippies, what kind of hippies can't work responsibly? And so I do it. So there's a big uh, denigration um, uh, common ground for many people, for a lot of people uh, of what that term conjures up. And I want to change it because it's uh i we need that now we need some flower power okay now i'm a real hippie all right well listen to this podcast though it's pretty great with michael jadu daner and um 
again, thanks to everybody for all the support, for Mind Rolling, for the Be Here Now Network. Um, before I get off, I, I also I cannot forget to thank uh, our main sponsor last year, 1440, who, who as I've said many times, we have uh, terrifically aligned values and the kinds of things we want to do and share the uh, information and uh, the teachings from many different people that can really help on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and coming up is, is Dr. Shafali Tsabari, who I had on a podcast and definitely listen to that. She's an expert in conscious parenting and mindfulness. And she's running a, an immersive workshop on mindfulness, uh, January 18th through 21. So it's coming up real soon here. And uh, she is a just one of the most terrific human beings that I had the pleasure to do a podcast with. She absolutely, I mean, she has the, uh, the depth that only can come from the Dakan, the Indian subcontinent. <laughs> she has a tremendous depth, and yet she is very modern as she has spent so much time here in the West. So it's quite a combination and very, very wise, uh, beautiful uh, woman. And I would highly suggest you take a shot and go down and do that workshop on January 18th at 1440 Multiversity. Go to 1440.org and you'll find out all about uh, Dr. Shafali as well as uh, other workshops that are being run then. So big call out and big thank you to 1440 for all of their support. Now, here we go. Hippie Trail Part 2 with Michael Jadu Daner on Mind Rolling on the Be Here Now Network. Bye-bye. Here we are back. I'm Raghu, and I'm back with, like, a oldie but goodie friend. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Jadu, Michael Daner. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Raghu. Thank you very much. You're, you're going to help me bring in the the new year here, and we're going to yeah. We may even you know chant some slogans and shit you know to bring in. The <laughs> well, I I I'm not sure if I'm. I, it was a compliment, but you said after all the heavy stuff, you wanted to have bring me in. So that I was. Now you said for some fun. So uh, yeah. No. <laughs> well, well, part of it. Now everybody out there, we uh, this is we're going to call it the hippie trail. Part two, because uh, Jadu was here. It's quite some time ago, a year and a half, maybe two years ago, and we did a podcast. And uh, he has an extraordinary story, which will be coming to a movie near you soon. <laughs> soon being relative, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, Still in process, but uh, further along. Let's put it that way. So we just—I just thought, yeah, we've been doing all this mindfulness stuff for for quite some time, really harping on how the hell do we get out of the jaws of this self-interest day to day? It's terrible. Uh, so we've been doing that. So I thought. And I know uh, Jadu's got some, you know, a plethora of wonderful stories uh, along you. the hippie trail. But then it struck me, hippie, hippie, okay. I denigrate hippie, by the way, I, didn't, I, I denigrate hippies. And I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm, the, I'm a champion. But at the same time, I'm doing, I say things like, 
Yeah, I don't know if we can hire that hippie kind of, you know, dope fiend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hippie dippy. <laughs> hippie dippy. So there's a lot of derogative stuff around that, and we want to talk right. about that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but there, uh, what rings for me, and I don't remember if we did this last time. I've done it before. I have quoted this uh, most well-known song, one of the most well-known, biggest hits of Elvis Costello. And it was actually written by Nick Lowe, fabulous songwriter, musician. Right. And uh, what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? And yeah. boy, th that kind of rings so way true now. And that's going to be the theme of next year, as far as I'm concerned. And that'll set, a set our uh, intention uh, for New Year's. Amen. Happy New Year. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so I thought we would just, I mean, and you said to me, gee, I bet a lot of people have no idea what, what the hippie trail is. Well, oh, yeah. people mostly only refer to hippies in a, as I did. You know, it's a, it's, it's a, uh, a bit of a, it's always a slam. It's a rock yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. slam on you so, wastrel. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because hipster also can have a, a negative connotation as well uh, although not as firmly established but you know everybody talks about the brooklyn hipsters with the big beards and yeah but the, the hippie uh there's so much of a legacy of the hippie movement that i think people don't even recognize what what life was like before the hippie movement mm. because mm. it was just such a transformative experience where basically we were living in a cookie cutter culture and the the combination of this giant baby boom generation getting turned on and coming to, sort of to blast apart the norms of society and take everything from being that cookie cutter more into an individual. Right. Uh, I just remember growing up, every kid on my block, they all had, there were six names, every kid was named the same. Every family wanted to be the same as their next door neighbor. And then this hippie generation came along and it blew all that apart. It was a totally nonconformist uh, experience. And the thing was, it's not, it's not like it was the first uh, thing of that sort, of that nature. So there were the beatniks were before the hippies and before that there were other bohemians, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the, but the hippie generation, there were just so many people and the economy was so good and you could live for a couple thousand dollars a year. Mm -hmm. uh, it just changed everything. But don't you remember, I mean, or here's what I remember. You talked about all the cookie cutter houses and everybody wanted to be like their neighbor. And that was, you know, the society was just, I was like pissed. What is this? I couldn't <laughs> grasp it. It was like, it, I, and I fought it tooth and nail, you know, all the way. Uh, all of the conformist stuff from our religion to school right. and all of that you know just it was but when did you start fighting it I, after I, you got well, after you got turned on basically no or no way before 
way before because it took me a while to find some pot. It's, it's I was like I don't know, 19 or something, you know. At that time I was in I was in Montreal, okay? It was harder to find. Right. Event probably if I had looked for a little bit of hash down, yeah, you know, yeah, it might have I, worked. That would yeah. be easy to find. I yeah, yeah, right. But I didn't, <laughs> and so I was just mostly angry. When I say I, I, I fought it tooth and nail, I was like angry, and then I heard Bob Dylan. Okay, and that changed it. There was somebody okay expressing what it was. What the fuck is going on here? And so that turned me on so powerfully. And music, I you know I love music yeah. as well. Well, that that was another uh, hallmark of that whole. I mean, it was the time. It, there was such a ferment in that time. And I don't know when you're talking about when you say you're 19 years old or something. That was uh, 1928. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! Uh, you know, so we were all. It's going into the late 60s, right? So late. Uh, mid late 60s. Basically. Because because that that as I was doing a little uh, investigation, a little homework, let's say, uh, I realized that there was sort of a division in the '60s in San Francisco, really, where the where the hippie movement started. I mean, there was a thing happening in New York, but it really it really took root in San Francisco, and the people who were there before the summer of love before 67, say, say like the Merry Pranksters, Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters, Wavy Gravy, those people, those were the diggers, you, yeah. which we probably should explain who the diggers were, but they were really, they were like the real hippies, you know, yeah. and then it sort of went mainstream and it got to the media in the summer of love. And then you had tens of thousands of people descending upon San Francisco. And it sort of started to become a fashion uh, statement as well. As, well, uh, I, as, I was one of those people. Yes. <laughs> and, and I did come after the summer of love. And uh -huh. it started to get a little raunchy. And yeah. it's uh, partly... Uh, so many different factors, you know, drugs being a large part too. That that was, they started to be a problem because people started doing hard drugs, not just soft, not psychedelics. Exactly. Only. And that, that was a big thing. But, you know, I want to, there just to get, there's uh, our, my very good friend, and you know as well, Danny Goldberg. Um, he has this, it's just a one paragraph thing that says it's it all. <laughs> it's fabulous. It says it's it not, all. Okay? Exactly. Danny. <laughs> Okay, the hippies were heirs to a long line of bohemians that included William Blake, that's a long, long line, Walt Whitman, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry David Thoreau, Hermann Hess, Arthur Rimbaud, Oscar Wilde, Aldous Huxley, and utopian movements like the Rosicrucians and the Theosophists, and most directly the Beatniks. Hippies emerged from a society that had produ produced birth control pills, a counterproductive war in Vietnam, the liberation and idealism of the civil rights movement, feminism, homosexual rights, FM radio, mass-produced LST, a strong economy, and a huge number of baby boom teenagers. These elements allowed the hippies to have a mainstream impact that dwarfed that of the beats 
and earlier avant-garde cultures. And, and it's, a, it's from a thing called In Defense of Hippies by Danny, <laughs> Danny Colbert. No, that, that, that uh, was uh, so well-written, yep. and it does encapsulate. The only thing I would say that is, is missing in there is the, uh, what came through the black culture. Because uh, a lot, I mean, even the word hip uh, and hep, yeah. uh, I, they were first used as black slang in the early 1900s. You know, so and then that that it went through uh, a variety between hip and hipster, hep, hep cat, and all that. So ultimately, it became hippie as sort of like the younger beatniks, more or less. Yeah, yeah. Now, but, my my own personal contact with it when I went out, the things that I remember are, of course, freedom. Wow. We got a whole gang here and we can be free and we don't have to, you know, follow the man, as we call yeah. it. Uh, that was a great thing. And then there was a lot of love, a lot of love. Yes. And of course, it was, yeah. there was a lot of sexual experimentation and all of that. That kind of freedom was there as well. And of course, the psychedelics. I mean, that's yeah. that was the most powerful force. Yeah. And so yeah. that whole mix for me opened up the the knowing uh, like a deep knowing there is something else here something's that, happening yeah, here yeah but you don't just don't know what it is <laughs> it's do you it's do. dylan's said had a song and a phrase for every situation yeah, right sure. yeah so um but what what really uh, i mean what has happened the as we talked about in the very beginning the denigration of the what hippie stands for i mean and and as i said i do it myself so it's got there yeah. there definitely well, are, are stuff that comes out of it that the, the denigration is kind of correct <laughs> you know what i mean that's another well, hippie move okay great yeah. you know but on the other side we the the what's so funny about love peace peace Peace, love, and understanding. What you know? What, yeah, what exactly becomes so not such cynical. a bad message. Yeah, and that message, and and so many people have have let it go, or in many cases, especially with people who have followed a spiritual path, they have transformed that into uh, um, cultivating compassion, cultivate uh, cultivating. Uh, awareness uh, awareness and mindfulness and and these kinds of things so uh, cultivating peace yeah. well cultivating well, right love bat, right off the bat that is one of the most enduring legacies and i could name 10 more at least but the interest in meditation call it eastern spirituality i mean yoga all that i mean you, you know that the that the people who are kind of the acknowledged spiritual uh, elders, let's say, of American Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, they pretty much all were on the hippie trail. They pretty much all went through that same experience. And, and, and I, you can't leave out the psychedelics, too. I mean, that, you know, that's not in the same category as legacy, etc. But it was so formative in turning these people on so I think people's minds were changed and my, people's minds were blown and they were opened up. I know that the first time I smoked, I, it was ha happened to be hashed. I saw myself 
for the first time. I mean, I realized mm. myself in the environment, you know, it just, it was, it was a wake up experience and yeah. it, it just changed my life right then and there. Yeah. That, that right there is huge. Actually, it gives yeah. you an idea. Wow. Okay. There is an awareness that's not attached <laughs> to this goofball mind thought emotive, like grabby desire trip that I'm on, on a, on a constant basis. So mind wise. And I'm not necessarily the center of the universe. There's other people's universe, you know, other people exist. Yeah. Right. yeah <laughs> Oh my yeah. God, isn't that something? Quite sure. Yeah, and they're not all just objects. So, okay, I got to get this, that, or the other. Right, me. right, got to get over. Yeah. Uh, my yeah. my first indication of anything was Allen Ginsberg, though. He, to, he's an upa guru, absolutely. Yeah. When he said, pot is fantastic. It opens up your mind. I was like, I totally believed him 100%, <laughs> and then I went on my journey from there. It took a while, but I got well, well, he's one of those people, by the way, who has transcended the different, you know, the beatnik and the hippie. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. he he's is absolutely certain. that. Him, Wavy, Ram Dass. Well. Yeah, yeah. Ramdas, Ram Wavy. There's certain yeah. people, you know, that weren't necessarily, because I, I was talking to Diane last night, and she's saying, I don't think I caught the hippie thing. And I said, you know, there was sort of like an age thing. If you were six months too old, it almost seemed like people who were a little older in okay. general. Yeah, that in that perspective. But from another perspective, um, like I was in India just recently, and uh. there was a bunch of Westerners, and many of them were young in their 20s and 30s. And most of them were hippies. Okay, they were absolutely no different. They went to the east. They got the psychedelic to be here now, the whole nine yards, and they went to the east. And they were like, you know, not wanting to do anything like, okay, we got to go now. So you got to be down at the car at nine o'clock, but but nobody be there, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Complete hippies. They were today hippies yeah they were they were living living the dream they are living the dream uh so then so i i really do feel strongly that we've uh would have thrown out the baby with the bath with the bath water yeah with this for so many people and so and what really bugs me is all these people like my generation, our generation, and and the way that they Who treat were? their children, <laughs> and right. and they're so, oh my God, they're liars and stuff. They even, you know, oh, right? Oh my God, and uh, and I know every somebody out. Is there anybody out there that you're going to get mad because we're talking in such high uh, praise terms about? <laughs> Uh, our drug experiences, uh, and this is uh, unfortunately that is it is a strong way to connect, w- and they're doing all this wonderful experiment experimentations yes. with psychedelics today, and so that, that shows how effective they can be with yeah. people with PTSD, people that are dying, people with high anxiety, uh, uh, all well, of it. Did addiction. You, did you? Did you? Uh use use lsd and let's say psychedelics as a uh sacred uh experience or did you do it as a party mostly sacred i mean i wouldn't that's not a that i wouldn't go that far that would be presumptuous yeah uh well personally i always use thought of it as an exploration 
you know, yeah, that's what right. the trip. That's yeah, what no, a trip was. To yeah, me. yeah. Well, you know, I just did a thing with Ramdas uh, podcast. Uh, no, actually, it was an interview from um, a magazine that wanted his take on what's going on with psychedelics today. And ah, he gave, and he was totally. It is a door opener. Period. Yeah. To the spiritual path. That's it. Right. Yeah, he's always said yeah. that, and he says it now. Anyhow, yeah. but uh, in this uh, thing, he talked about set and setting, right? That Leary and Alper used to talk about, and, and Metzler Same. all the way. You know what? I didn't know what set was. I had it all. I setting was like okay you got your room you put your nice things there you might have the right music you set up the people and the but i really never knew what set is do you know what set is no what do you call what are you calling set you mean what's the interpretation like setting that's it you did know yeah no i did i always hey listen i was i always had one thing that i was kind of hoping for looking for and that was a true religious experience. Mm. And it took me, I mean, it didn't happen until I was in Goa, you know, I don't know, 15 years later, mm. uh, thanks to the brotherhood and, right. or the spot or the set, you know, the <laughs> setting, I don't know, it was the right, right place at the right time. Uh, and, that, and that was uh, years later after a lot of experimentation. Yeah. Ram Dass, he said, your intention, the set, your intention should be to experience Love and consciousness. I said, you mean Satchitadand? He said, no, <laughs> love and consciousness. <laughs> what about the bliss? Yeah. Um, so now, Hippie Trail, okay. Now, we, we need to know a little bit about what the Hippie Trail is in a, in a, okay. in a couple of s- sentences. Well, well, the Hippie Trail, first of all, just... It seems rather hard to believe, but in 1970, you could drive from Amsterdam to Nepal. I mean, and not only could you drive from Amsterdam to Nepal, but there were, uh, you only needed a couple thousand dollars to live for a year in Asia if you went. But, but, but as a step back, uh, what happened was, People got turned on basically by psychedelics and they wanted to find out where did, who knows about this? Where did this come? What's happening here? Who knows more about this? And they started looking for gurus in India. And that was one, uh, I've written a treatment for a TV series. It's called Seekers and Smugglers. To me, there were basically seekers there were smugglers and there were adventurers and, and all of us were a mixture of them all. But that was kind of, as I saw it, the main strain and people sort of that's, I started talking earlier about San Francisco after 60, 67, there was so much media coverage and hate Asbury kind of deteriorated in a way and people hit the road. They went to live in communes. They they rode hippie buses around America, and a certain percentage decided to go to India to to find what I was just mentioning. And it didn't hurt that it got announced in the in the newspaper that the Beatles went uh, to see uh, gurus in India, uh, the Maharishi, and uh, soon it was not just hippies from america going 
but there was hundreds of thousands of people made their way to India. And so the hippie trail was also known as the hashish trail, started in Europe, but the real jump off point was in Istanbul. The pudding shop in Istanbul was a place where people arranged rides, hooked up, you know, people didn't even know each other. They jumped in somebody's van, but people didn't just go by vans. People went by public transportation, people hitchhiked, people went, I know people who went in motorcycles. You could take a, a bus from London, a double-decker bus from London for 100 pounds and go to India. Mm. I mean, it was, uh, it was not, in the days of the beats, it was a trickle of people like Ginsburg went to India. But in this time period, it was a torrent. It was a flood of people were on the road and they were all going to India. Uh, and the first stop after the pudding shop, which was in Turkey, then you cross the Bosphorus, you're in Asia, you go through uh, Turkey, you go to Iran, and then you hit Afghanistan. So when you hit Afghanistan, it was like going back to the 14th century. <laughs> Literally, it was tribal. It was just like, it was what I had been looking for all my life. You know, in terms of uh, anthropological exploration. Mm -hmm. And then you made your way uh, through Herat and Kandahar, and you got to Kabul, and it was like, oh, my God, this is the bar scene in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's got every kind of... Uh, oh, I forgot. There was one other stream. It was runaways and desperados who were escaping from things. So Kabul had hosted people who were like fascists from Italy. And the, you know, it, it, they had a tradition. Anybody could come there. It was really like Deadwood. You know, Deadwood, uh, it, it, there was basically yeah. no law. And then if you got outside of Kabul, there really was no law. I mean, and it was dangerous. So you did not want to be outside a city at nighttime or anything like that. So uh, I found myself on the hippie trail for the second time in 1970 with my wife-to-be, who was lovely Sally, who I hooked up with in London coming back the first time I went with my friends. My friends had invited me to go on the hippie trail. They were more on the smuggler side of things, and they, but they introduced me to the whole route, the way, and turns out they brought back a van full of hashish that was the worst kept secret in smuggling history. Every person in Philadelphia was walking around saying, oh, when's the Land Rover coming back? When's the Land Rover coming back? So anyway, they got, they got busted, and I tried to help them out. And by doing that, I got implicated in the conspiracy, and so uh, I became a fugitive. So, and I bumped into my friends after they got arrested and let out, and they said, your name has come up and my name could have only come up from them, but at least they were nice enough to tell me. And they said, if I were you, I would get out of town. So I asked Sally if she'd like to go with me. And a couple weeks, I had a going out of existence sale. She took all her money out of the bank. Two weeks later, we were in Amsterdam shopping for a van. That's a wild so girl. We, That's Sally. Yeah. She's, she's, go off she was with a perfect fugitive. lady Jesus. for the ride. <laughs> and we're still together. Bonnie to and Clyde. Yeah, you're still together. Uh, 
And so we went to Amsterdam. We bought an old Mercedes minibus. I bought it from a guy who had already driven it to Afghanistan and brought it back. And I uh, bought that and had a false floor put in, typical hippie bus. And we drove to uh, Afghanistan. And the idea was to load the floor, drive on to India and ship it back. Well, you know, uh, when life happens, making up while you're making the other plans. And we ended up in uh, Kabul and the borders were closed because of the second war between India and Pakistan. So we thought we were going to be there for two weeks and we were there for almost five and a half months. But then fast forward, because the, the next part, I think we, we talked, we you, you told through, that right. story uh, in, the, yeah. in the other segment. If you guys, can, you can all find the hippie trails. Right part one um and yeah so fast forward to it actually being in india and so what happened there so so what happened was we were just what happened to get us to india was that while we were in kabul and we realized i was wanted and that we were running out of money and i bumped into the hog farm commune guys who had a false bottom suitcase factory, and I learned the craft. Mm -hmm. So that's what sort of sustained me while I was waiting to come back for my van. So I went on uh, to go, and that was in the last episode, and we went back with some suitcases, basically, to, the, to, the, to Canada. Uh, and then we pick up, this is where the second uh, episode begins. So we are now, together again back in uh, Kashmir, which is possibly one of the most verdant, beautiful, incredible places mm. up in the mountains. Just an Have you ever been to Kashmir? I have not, no. Okay, well, it was paradise, which of course has been spoiled by war since then. But we were up there and it was a watery paradise, basically, all interconnected lakes connected by canals. So everything came by, uh, the post office came by on a boat, you know, lotus fields you could row out to and just eat the lotus seeds. They literally had floating gardens. They would cut the vegetation up from the bottom and throw dirt on it and grow vegetables and tow it behind their boats. It was just wow. a fabulous place. So we were there for the summer and it started to get cold so we decided we were going to go down to Delhi, and we had brought back a bunch of suitcases. So we were prepared with the suitcases. Uh, we didn't have any uh, product. So uh, at that point, we were living on houseboat aeroplane with Lala. And Lala hadn't mentioned anything at all until we were at this point, he turned to me and said, Mr. Michael, you're going to want, be wanting to take some hashish with you, aren't you? And I said, yeah, Lala, of course. <laughs> and, and he proceeded to, per, to purchase like the best uh, Kashmiri hash unmixed with mustard oil. And, uh, but we went to Delhi to Vasant Vihar, which is the diplomatic colony, rented a really nice house because we needed a place to do our work and uh, arranged for Lala to come down a few different times 
because his nephew uh, was in the jam. He was in the Kashmir police band. So it was the police band bus would come down. <laughs> He'd have his duffel bag. Whenever they came to a customs thing, he would walk around the customs and then meet the bus a- afterwards yeah. on the other side. And he started uh, coming down to Delhi. But to explain this story, I have to just explain a little bit about making false bottom suitcases or else this won't make sense. And the fact is you need to have a a press because you take the hash, which is kind of in raw form, and to put it in the suitcases, you have to flatten it out. So when I went to Delhi, I had to have a little press or mold made up, which is basically like a metal box that the top slides down into, and you jack that into the bottom, and then you've got flattened out nice hash that you can then use. So to get that, I took a, a taxi to, you know, one of the bazaars and asked the taxi driver, uh, where could, uh, you know, where's some metal work? I can get some metal work done. I have to, I'm having some dupe pressed, some incense pressed. <sighs> I had to have a story. So um, I went and did that. We had, we got a beautiful house. I had even had a workroom with a table, an extra long table I had made, and in the closet were lined up the other part of the hash uh, suitcase making, which was the molds. So you have to have a fiberglass mold that you make of the outside of the suitcase. You have that flattened hash I described, and then you take that mold and you put take out the lining, put the hash in, then you put that mold in and you make it invisible, put the lining back in. By the so, way, everybody, I do have to just say, you can't do <laughs> this disclaimer. anymore. Yeah, disclaimer. Oh, no. You can't do this uh, for about a billion reasons. Probably the top yeah. reason is it's becoming legal everywhere. So <laughs> exactly. they don't need you. you know? Exactly. Exactly. That's why we got to get to this fast. Okay. So uh, the reason why I explain this will become apparent. So we're in our house and we decide, Robert and Sally and I, Robert was our partner. And we go into uh, this center of Delhi uh, to Connaught Circus, this very center. We get out of the car and two guys walk up to us and say, Mr. Michael, we're from the CID. And how is your press, by the way? Just to let me know that they knew at least that much. And... You know, all taxi drivers are named Mr. Singh. So at that point, we in, we say Mr. Singh sang, obviously. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. he turned us in for probably mm-hmm. a little something or other. And so at, they take us to the police station. And Robert and Sally are like, you know, to say they're besides themselves. As a matter of fact, Robert's sitting in a chair like lying back like this in in extremist distress. And the guy says, you want to see my lie detector? And he goes over and pushes his hand on his chest, like to feel his heartbeat. He says, that's my lie detector. (laughs) And then they say, "Uh, okay, Mr. Michael, we're going to leave them here. You come with us out to the house. Okay, now uh, I've got like maybe eight or 10 suitcases, 
you know, Lala has been bringing the product. They come out to the house. We open the door. We walk in. And I've got little piles of personal use hashish lying around. But they're looking for mountains. You know, they think they've got Mr. Big. And so, so they walk. They walk and they're walking past the living room and we have this game that was a very period game called Dealer McDope. So it was like <laughs> a monopoly game, but a dealer monopoly game. And they see all this money, like, but it's monopoly money, but they think it's real money. And I said, no, no, that's, that's a game. That's a game. That's a game. So then we walk into my workroom and as on the table is a suitcase with the lining out of the suitcase. And the guys look at me, they look at the suitcase, and they he sends his assistant into the closet. In the closet are all these shelves with the molds of the outside of the suitcase. He takes one of those, walks over, and puts it into the suitcase. He said, says, Mr. Michael, what is that? What is this? I say, you see those fiberglass molds? These suitcases are normally weak. I take those molds, I put them into the suitcases, and I make them really strong. So the part of the story I left out is that the night before, the afternoon before, Lala came to the door, knocks on the door. Normally, he has white gray hair. He knocks on the door. There he is with his hair dyed black. And he says, Mr. Michael, after I left your house the last time, they grabbed me, asked me all these questions, kept me all night. And I'm coming back to tell you. So he came back at great risk to himself with a house under surveillance or possibly under surveillance to warn me that we were under uh, that th something might be happening, something was up. So that night, this is the day before we got grabbed. I stayed up the entire night. I built everything I had into seven or eight suitcases. I sent Robert and Sally the next morning to the big hotels, put all the suitcases and the left luggage at the hotels. <laughs> so the, uh, the only remnants we had left were the luggage tags which Robert ate, I think, when he was at the police. <laughs> <laughs> but so they look all around the house and they're, they're really disappointed. And they pull out this paper, much to my surprise, it says the premises have been searched and there, no contraband was found and we're returning your passport. And I'm like, Wow. And uh, then they're my now they're my best friends. They see the stereo. I have, of course, everybody had a portable stereo system or something like that or some kind of cassette player. I gave them my cassette player. We walk back into the police station and uh, Sally and Robert and we're now we're arm in arm like best friends <laughs> and Sally and Robert are like, wow, this is it. They, and they just let us go. And Jeez. then we threw everything onto top of a taxi, went down to uh, Bombay and continued the saga 
turned all those suitcases into uh, false bottom suitcases and sent out, um, I think, maybe three runners at that point. And that's what we did uh, for about the next six months until we could go until they opened up the border and we went back for our van, which is a, a mega. We didn't have enough time for that story. Yeah. but <laughs> That's going to be part three. Yeah, Can you yeah. imagine this shit's going on? I mean, and but the flow of people is staggering when you really think about it. So, that, well, let's hear your your side of the hippie trail because I talked about the overland, but there were people who came who didn't uh, go overland that came in and just flew in to see the gurus. So, to this, so the big places were Kulu. People go up, and Kulu had you know the best hash, and Goa. It had a tremendous uh, scene in Goa around, um, uh, you know, dealers and movers and shakers and people. You know. Well, and just and just psychedelic, psychedelic, yeah. Floors. Yeah, the it wasn't, whole thing. I, have, I mean, what, so I've never. No, been. I was going to say uh, that actually, when we were in Goa, there was in Anjuna. There was nothing. There was nothing. Not there was one coffee shop. Then it turned into uh, full moon parties, uh, trance music, and yeah. then all that stuff ended up going all around the world yeah. from there. Yeah. Uh, it became like a very big part of the music scene. So when you say, "What did you?" Those are two places I have never been to, which is, I mean, you know, for somebody who goes to India as much as I do. It's almost unimaginable. And why? <laughs> because I wasn't on that other thread. You know, I'm, I'm, I want to turn you on to this book, actually. Uh, it's called The Spiritual Odyssey of Frida Betty. Freda, Frida Betty. She was a famous English woman who went, married a, an Indian man and went and lived in India and then became through, I mean, was part of... Uh, the anti-British thing. She actually was uh, did a lot of different social service. Things. Amazing, amazing woman that eventually became one of the closest people. And forget that she was a Westerner and b a woman in that whole Tibetan culture thing to His Holiness uh, the Sixteenth Karmapa. Oh. And this is the story. And we'll put this in the show notes. By the way, and I forgot to do this before. When we were talking about the Summer of Love in 67, and we talked about, you know, that beautiful uh, paragraph that uh, Danny wrote uh, about what hippies, how, how it happened and how they came together. Well, Danny wrote a book around 1967, and, and you, uh, all you people out there that help out with these podcasts, you're going to remind what the name of that book is. Sorry, Danny. Uh, but I think Summer of Love or just 1967. I, I, uh, he probably had a way catcher name and I can't think of it. But a fantastic book for anybody who wants to know what happened in that era, in that year, which was instrumental and, for so and much. That paragraph is indicative of, I, I looked at that and I thought, you know, that's good writing. Yeah, just no, that Danny's paragraph great. that you read. Yeah, Danny's yeah. great. So great that's uh, if the rest of the book is like that. So that's a recommendation in the midst of uh, in Mittendrin, <laughs> as they say in Yiddish, and now the spiritual odyssey of Frida Betty. And uh, so 
there's one thing in here which basically explains it. We could just substitute Karmapa with uh, Neem Karoli Baba. Uh, and uh, the author says, Rumtek, which is, was in Sikkim, is in Sikkim. It is where the main um, a monastery of His Holiness Karmapa is. Rumtek was on the hippie trail. I just read this. I swear, two mm. nights ago, I'm reading this book, and then this, and uh, spiritual seekers were arriving hungry for the Dharma, searching for cosmic consciousness. A new generation whose doors of perception had been opened chemically. <laughs> <laughs> they listened with intuitive understanding, and were receptive to blessings and meditation. Okay. The Karmapa had lived 16 lives as the head of a sect and reached the illumination of a Buddha. He has chosen to come back time and again to teach his students and liberate all beings from the suffering of this world. And uh, many, 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 many times I have mentioned 16th Karmapa because when people say, did you ever meet anyone aside from Neem Karoli Baba that was of that, uh, a siddha, you know, a being that's no longer has any uh, subject-object thing going on? And it was 16th Karmapa, who I did had darshan of one day in Los Angeles at a black hat ceremony. And once I found that, and of course I found it, I mean, I was you know, experimenting with psychedelics before I went to India. I I was uh, having fun because I had gone to Israel and gotten into hash. So, and I was, you know, had some friends ship me some hash back. Uh -huh. A little different than the hippie trail was my father going down and I, I was in Africa and he, he went and picked up some present that my friend had sent me from Turkey. And I, I get home from Africa after I'd been in Israel with this guy. And my father said, oh, you like to pick something up from customs for you. <laughs> I said, oh, really? Well, you, you look in your bedroom. And I went in the bedroom. And it was like a half a dozen horsehair pillows. And I'm going, mm. wow. Who and then it dawned on me. My friend Robert, my friend, I also had a friend Robert, from, he went to Turkey. He said, yeah, just give me your address. I'll send it to you. Because I said, I heard they have great hash there. And sure enough, I opened them up. The best hash I've ever smoked from that day to this day. It was oh. phenomenal. And, and then the next thing I knew, I was in my college at, in the lunchroom <laughs> selling hash. And that was my whole... So oh, well, that that's... You know, yeah, well, that was, that was kind of the issue that so many people... Uh, I don't know if you want to backtrack to that, but the people, what they said about the hippie era that it people didn't really put it into effect they sold out let's say that they By, sold out oh and, no and, it was so much camaraderie yes we were you know i liked the fact that i suddenly had a bunch of money because i had nothing but it was the camaraderie and and i love turning people on to something that i liked that was part yeah. of it too i mean yeah, yeah you know i mean we hadn't got yes we got a little more jaded later on but in the, in that moment but but more to the point about the, uh, you know, t saying, you know, my journey was on the, uh, of the hippie trail was certainly directly. On the seeker side. Yeah, seeker side. And once, I guess because 
I got like accepted aside from Neem Karoli Baba, which uh, we've talked about so much, and, and of course everybody out there listen to all these wonderful podcasts with Ramdas uh, that I introduce. That there was one other aspect that coming from where I came from, you know, we talked about. I mean, I was I was rebelling. I was rebelling the whole time I was in school, and then finally, found, you know, with music and Dylan and all that, doors opened up, and then, uh, and and then ethnogens and so on. But it was a stifling atmosphere, and then suddenly there I am in India, in the foothills of the Himalayas, and I'm being treated like family. I so once I uh, honestly when I got that family kind of hookup with so many Indian people that were devotees of of Maharaji named Karoli Baba I never wanted to go anywhere from that moment on and I never have and I keep going back to that same family That's why so that's why you didn't travel around and go to Goa and Kashmir and the 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 high high spots you were already found your home yeah. so you yeah, exactly. father Home is is the word, absolutely. You know, found yeah. the home. And now many, many people have found that same home without having either being in front of Ninkaroli Baba or or going over to India and, and being welcomed the way that we were welcomed. Uh, and I'm here, I hear about these things every day now because of the Love, Serve, Remember Foundation and people writing and talking, telling their story and so on. And uh, that home is absolutely be here now it's here and now yeah. it's that presence yeah and well, uh, talk talk about a legacy hmm. that be here now because i have to say i have studied some pretty so i was i am a serious student uh, of consciousness and have studied uh both the path of the heart and zokchen and, and and i have to say it really comes down to, to be here now in the end after after it all you know yeah. that's yeah. that's what i would say yeah but, so. yeah no absolutely and it's the it's the major anti antidote to what i've been talking about on other podcasts which is that uh, the tremendous way in which we're obsessed with ourselves and our thoughts and our minds and our and not being here now so uh, yeah that that uh that's the reality of that, I mean, it obviously you who have studied uh, Dzogchen, which were you give us a definition right away of Dzogchen, by the way. Oh, well, Dzogchen, it's it's pinnacle Tibetan teaching, uh, which is called the, the great perfection. But it's a non-dual teaching, basically. It's a non-dual teaching uh, like Advaita Vedanta, which is the Hindu non-dual teaching, meaning that there's, it's not so much in, on the path, teaching the various stages of the path. It's more the, the experience, which is what you're on the path for. So that it's really like sort of starting at the top. Okay, so starting at the top is great, except most people are not ready to start at the top. So if you're not ready to start at the top, they do have a gradual path as well. But the gradual path is more of, uh, creating experiences. So there's many ways. So one experience is like being startled. And in that moment of being startled, you experience what that emptiness is. So it's, it's, it's sort of a different approach to, to getting to the same place, but it's, uh, 
yeah, it's a path that I related to because it goes right to the essence of, of what we're looking for. Hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I do know because um, I've talked a lot with Lama Surya Das, and, and of course that's his path, uh, and and he does manage to elucidate it in a way that can be have some effectiveness, so you're not feeling like you just started. Oh my God! Okay, you know, because non-dual thing is, you know, is very yeah. difficult, very, very difficult. Uh, but uh, I, the level of, I mean, I'm taking him as a good example. You guys out there, he has a podcast, uh, um, Awakening Now, Lama Surya Das on Be Here Now Network. So do check him out. I mean, he's fantastic. And one of the reasons he's so fantastic is his level. Well, first of all, he did a couple of three-year, three-month, three-day uh, meditation retreats. In, put some in time France. in. He put his time in. Um, and But his he has had, and I told him this, on, I did a podcast with him not long ago. I said, you are the most graced person I have ever oh, met. Oh, I heard did that. Did you hear that? I heard that. Talking about one, one amazing Being teacher after, after another. another. He, he yeah. has and, been with... With the dinosaurs, I call them the li living legends yeah. who were kind of almost the last. Uh, I yeah. mean, we hope not, but yeah. the real yeah. authentic yeah. masters. Yeah. From uh, Karmapa, Root Guru, uh, to Kensi Rinpoche, uh, and 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 many others, uh, uh, and including before he met any of them, his root root guru maybe <laughs> root 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 is uh, Neem Karoli Baba <laughs> Maharaji, and yeah. he has that great story about his first meeting with Maharaji, he met the big Maharaji, that which is nothing to do with uh, being encased in a physical, body. fleshy body. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Uh, it's in the book, Love Everyone, Everybody. That book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> another uh, little promotional another, spot. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> but I want to just like circle this whole thing back, Jadu, uh, just around the importance of what uh, was represented by this gigantic transformation that happened in the 50s, in the well, 60s, basically 60s and early 70s. And what uh, I, I do believe what I thought before is correct, that um, the part that wasn't made into a cynical mess you know, ah, we did that. We were just a good time and drugs and free sex. Blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't let my kid out there doing that shit now, boy. Uh, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Aside, aside from that level of cynicism by um, baby boomers, uh, the, to me, the ones that have taken that experience and are, uh, are devoting themselves to a transformation that is basically around cultivating peace, love, and compassion. And and my stars are on this are obviously the likes of Sharon. I mean, Sharon Salisbury comes to mind most especially, who makes this, uh, and her thing is loving kindness, metta. Metta. Yeah. And, and boy, we just need a whole pile more of meta yeah. in a, in the situation you we are in now and looking back at at the hippie credo uh and seeing i think you said early in the in the podcast that 
that what we live now really has and you know the there's a major influence i mean the baby boomer generation is huge and yeah. there's been you know many influences from that generation um some of them right at the top of the heap now not very good uh but many of them um are are have transformed that credo into a substantial practice uh, and I don't just mean meditative practice. I mean practicing in the world so that we have some chance at cutting through the polarization that's going on right now. So I think you're really right that that started back then. Yeah. And and so many of the things that are that we need to continue on and build on, like the environmentalism. I mean, all these things started with Earth Days and stuff like that. It was some of the first time that people were started to think about the environment, which, which to me is the the big uh, what one of the big issues we just have to deal with. It's so so important now. But yeah, so much of it started in that in that generation in the arts and music and just and basically every realm. And I think it's kind of the point of this podcast. It really isn't acknowledged uh, where it should be, I think. Mm, yeah. So uh, back to this book, uh, you know, we're getting at the close here, but uh, Frida Betty, uh, I just want to read one thing that, that she said. Uh, you guys, I mean, this, Michael, you'll love this book, Jadu. Absolutely. I'm, I'm getting it. Yeah. <laughs> We are all old warriors who have lived many lifetimes. We have inhabited the world of animals, fighting and quarreling, living only for the moment. We have passed into the state of hell beings and that of the hungry ghost suffering unremitting pangs of remorse. We have lived in the higher states, st states of the gods, suffused in happiness, but this joy has been impermanent, always we have been forced to take rebirth again and again. In this life, we have found a precious human body and a mind capable of receiving the Buddha's teachings. Precepts held create wholesome karma. They are the foundation of holistic living. They create a unity within the personality. We are no longer in conflict with the self. A calm mind naturally arises. I think that's what Dzogchen really is, right? A calm mind naturally arises. Exactly. It is, it's, it's the natural, the natural path. Yeah. yeah. And the to, natural state. And to get there takes work. All of us, uh, it, it's called practice makes perfect. And so whatever it is in mindfulness area or meditation area, chant area, devotional area. Oh, by the way, that's what I meant about Surya Das. Uh, he's, his, the grace of all these beings that he studied with is 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 just extraordinary, and his uh, and his knowledge of the Dzogchen path in particular, uh, and uh, it's his devotion to his teachers. Yeah, and you know I think that's a that's a and you know that's big, big it's part. funny that and it's funny because you know the big knock is like oh there's like Hindu. Uh, devotion and the Buddhist path is yeah. kind of a little colder 
and stuff. But when you see the devotion that people have for their teachers, their yeah. you know, palm gurus, their lamas, it's the same. Yeah, no, it's the same. It's absolutely the same. And it's funny because they won't call them, most of them don't call them guru, they call them teacher. Yeah, right. it's all about language. We don't, I mean, all this stuff, it's like, Jesus, God, don't talk about God. I did a whole, uh, we do these retreats in uh, Ojai, and I was looking for some material because we center around, actually, Ramdas immersion retreats. And I found Ramdas uh, at Naropa, at the opening of Naropa with Trungpa Rinpoche from 1974. He gave a talk, uh, a series of talks, like for 10 days or more, around the Gita, Bhagavad Gita. Ah. And one of them was around the, um, what, what is Brahman? Brahman, which is God. But the, I loved it because I had no baggage with that word. So, and then, you know, the way that they, the investigation that happened uh, in this particular exposition from Ramdas around Brahman was so much easier to digest. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> uh, we're going to put that out soon on, on Ramdas.org too. So. But, but you mean because when, when the, the, word god comes up there's so many associations and, and of course in the buddhist world it's you know the whole thing that's the, the separation yeah. well i could say the same thing about buddha mind okay what buddha mind i don't know buddha mind okay so clear uh true nature i can kind of get around yeah. in there a little bit <laughs> right. you know? so. La like you said language yeah yeah language eh? so important <laughs> hey thanks for being here man I really oh, love my hanging pleasure. with you. And uh, uh, almost new, Happy New Year. No, no, it is Happy New Year because <laughs> this will go out. Uh, yeah. Oh, right. You ruined right. the surprise. God Oh, darn. sorry. Well, uh, all right, I had one thing to tell you. It's yes. a real surprise. I've been tripping this whole time. Oh. I'm only kidding. Oh. <laughs> I, was gonna, I was just going to say, and you left me out? I mean, you could we could organize this. I mean, that's an interesting idea. Uh, we'll see. And I, so we end this with, uh, we got to play a little of Elvis Costello. What's so funny Absolutely. about peace, love, and understanding, okay? Uh, and that's, that's my New Year's message, or it's going to be our New Year's message. There's nothing funny it's beautiful, and we shouldn't be so damn cynical. You shouldn't be, okay? Nay. I'm there with you. Uh, all right. Great to see everybody. Okay, go, great to be go, with you. Be Here Now Network, Mind Rolling. You will have all of the different uh, books and everything else we've been talking about, links and all that will be there. And uh, Jadu's uh, movie, The Hippie Trail, we're going to have to wait for that. But, um, but that gives you uh, an idea. Meditation mentoring. If there, someone's interested in meditation mentoring from somebody who's had such a wild past. <laughs> yeah. uh, Do you want to get mentored by a scammer? <laughs> you know what? If you want to have somebody was talking about a girl who's 22 years old and they said she's a life coach. And I said, wait a second, you have to have had a life well, to be yeah, a 22. coach. <laughs> so, this yeah. is a life. <laughs> oh, and we'll have a link for uh, Michael's site. Absolutely. Thank you again. Okay. We'll talk later. Ramana. All right. Very good. <laughs> Bye.
Searching for light in the darkness of insanity 